Hello there everybody and welcome to the Futsal Independent Podcast. This is episode two with me, Carl Wilkinson. This episode is sponsored by Rob Smith at Rob Indie Film on Twitter. An independent filmmaker and photographer helping companies, organisations and people tell their story through media. So just how good has the last couple of weeks been in futsal? We've had the England Games, we've had the FA's Fast Forward with Futsal Strategy Launch, we've had almost a full round of National League fixtures last weekend, this weekend we've got a full round in the Super League and we've got some games going on in the other divisions as well. So lots of good things going on, hopefully it's something we can sustain, keep that going, keep growing the game, keep growing the, the English League. A few things to touch on this week, I want to go back to basics on futsal. So if you've been around the game for a long while, bear with me, I want this to reach new people. Those who are just seeing the game for the first time, just getting involved, just hearing about the game, I want to affect those people. I want to give a brief overview, a very brief overview, of what the game is, where it came from, and ultimately what you can expect from a game of futsal. I want to touch a little bit on player development, which I had recorded for the episode zero a few weeks ago, which got cut, so I want to do a little bit on that. And then match day experience, because that's been part of the, the week on Twitter, if you will. So I had a few notes wrote down for this um, this section on the game and what it is, what it isn't. Um, and then Doug Reed very kindly released a, a blog post today that said it in, in less words than I could and in a better way than I could. So I've had to go back to the drawing board, re-record this and change the, the angle. So thanks for that, Doug. Um, but www.dougreedfutsal.com Find Doug on Twitter, Doug Reed Futsal. Find his website, find his blog. Give it a read. Tons of stuff on there. There's an excellent piece on there called, um, I think it's Futsal Past and Present, which goes into the history of the game. So what is Futsal? Where did it come from? What is the game? Depending who you listen to, or where you read it, there's kind of one story which has got a, a few different versions. Some will say the game originated in Brazil. Some will say Uruguay. The one I'm going to speak about today is Uruguay. So early 1930s, we're talking Uruguay, Montevideo. In a local YMCA centre, uh, people playing unorganised, informal games of, of football. Because of the, the type of weather, because of the hot sun, these games would take place indoors, so allowing them to escape the heat, which is quite the juxtaposition with the English game, given that most of you will will see it if you are involved in youth um, over the winter. We do it for the absolute opposite reason. So whilst these games were being played, the YMCA director of PE was watching on. It was him that later on set up the first set of rules. So he took the game of football, used the goals from handball, he used the court size and the number of players from basketball, the rolling substitutes of hockey, uh, and some extra rules from water polo. So one of the stories goes that because they were playing indoors, 
they didn't want the ball to bounce as much because they didn't want to break windows and things like that. So they played with a ball that was weighted, so it was heavier. It didn't bounce as much. It stayed to the floor. That was something that was taken into the rules, perfected over the years, and now we see it as the, the heavier, denser, um, heavy is the wrong term, denser, less bounce or reduced bounce ball. So that game was called Football Salah or Football de Salon. Football, obviously being football, and Salah or Salon, meaning hall or room. So literally room football, or more appropriately, indoor football. Futsal then is just an amalgamation of the two words foot and sal, so football salah. And that's the name that's used now by the world, basically. So FIFA and UEFA in our terms. The rules that were made were circulated to the YMCA headquarters, distributed across other YMCA centres, and then in some areas, particularly the likes of Brazil, the growth was huge. So they set up their own institutes to look after the sport. Fast forward to the present day. And futsal is the only recognised small-sided format of football, unless you're into beach football. It's got a FIFA World Cup, it's got a UEFA Euro Championships, uh, and there's even a UEFA Futsal Champions League which is taking place at the moment. So why does futsal interest us? Why are we, I say we, the futsal family, banging on about it so much all the time? So depending what your involvement is with the game, you'll have your own reasons, you'll have different reasons I'm sure. So whether you're a coach, whether you're a player, a parent, uh, or whether you're just somebody that likes the idea of the game and classes themselves uh, as a spectator. Which if that is the case, then I would love to hear from um, anybody that's got that kind of background. Because those are the type of people that we need to tap into as a sport. We need to find the kind of reach outside the circle, if that makes sense. So if it doesn't yet interest you, then I want to know why. I want to ask why. Not from a self-entitled approach of uh, you know all must love futsal or anything like that, but just from a simple what's not to enjoy point of view. So the game of futsal is a format of football. Two teams of five players, usually played indoors on a flat, hard surface that allows the size four ball, so a more dense ball, 30% reduced bounce, the indoor hard surface allows that ball to travel a lot faster than the traditional game. So where constraints allow, that can be done outside. And we see it all the time when we go to Spain and Portugal and mainland Europe and places like that. We'll see the red and white handball type goals out on futsal courts outside. If you look at school in Spain, the goals are everywhere. There is no kind of letterbox, five-a-side goals going on or anything like that. We need to be careful with that in England and the UK, I guess, because we don't want to get it confused with five-a-side. So if we're going to play it outside, that's okay, but we need to know that we're playing futsal. And then if we go back to the last episode, Mike Scabala talked about the, the five key things that make up the identity of futsal. We need to keep as much of that or as many of those as possible to make sure that it stays as futsal. The court is limited using lines, so when you're playing the game, we must take care with the ball. If we don't take care with the ball, we lose control or we misplace a pass or something like that. We lose possession of the ball. In traditional indoor, five-a-side, your soccer norms and places like that, if you lose the ball, it doesn't matter that much because the sideboard will do the control for you sometimes. So you're actually rewarded for executing or applying poor technique. 
Games played across two halves of 20 minutes. The clock stops whilst the ball is out of play. So each half lasts around 40 minutes in total. Restarts must be taken within a four second count from the ref. And when coupled with the fact that the clock stops until the ball is played, there's 20 minutes of absolute play. So there's no time wasting, so to speak. And the game's played at a high tempo because the ball is back in play quickly. The goalkeepers have rules placed on them to stop constant back passes. So we're not slowing the game down and make it dull to watch. There's an accumulated team foul rule which stops the game being overly physical. So you can have up to five direct free kicks given against you in any one half. For every foul thereafter, or every direct free kick foul given thereafter, the opposition are given a 10 metre penalty. So it doesn't reward the bull in a china shop attitude that traditionally the English are associated with. There needs to be a little more finesse about the game. So what we end up with is a game that's high in technical control. It's very tactical at the highest level with dedicated systems of play and ultimately a fast, exciting, frenetic, at times passionate game that can produce you know, 20, 30 shots on goal uh, in each half. Especially when we look at the top level, if we look outside of England and we look at Spain and things like that, the stats can be, can be crazy. It's constant drama. It's constant action. It's everything we love about the game more times over. So in the case of the, the Futsal Super League last season, we had 1,132 goals. That was across 132 fixtures, just in the league, not counting the Cups. So that's just over eight goals a game, around about eight and a half goals a game, or a goal every five minutes. So when you add all of the shots, the saves, the blocks, the counter-attacks, the set pieces, and the genuine passion for the game that the players have, the spectacle is fantastic. So if you imagine that you stuck two 18-yard boxes together from football and then asked the players to play inside there, that's basically what's happening in futsal. It's a great game for children. So to watch and to play, there's always something happening. So it's rare that they get bored. It's indoor, so there's no worry about standing there in the winter months and being cold and bored and all that kind of stuff. It sounds silly to say that one of the pluses is that it's indoor. But the fact that it is warm, nine times out of ten, is a big plus. Would you go and take your children to stand and watch a game out in the freezing cold during winter? You probably wouldn't. With futsal, we can do that. We can get away with it. So most of the people that we, or I tend to come across that come and watch the game are blown away by it and they become enthusiastic about it themselves. The one thing it can seem to outsiders is quite clicky or quite insular and I think that's to do with the fact that those um, on the inside, in air quotes, so to speak, have worked that hard to develop, uh, promote their clubs and the game itself for so many years that they stick together, they know each other very well. So it's not intentional that that attitude comes across. And I did experience that many years ago. Um, I think it's a lot more inclusive. The community is a lot bigger than it was. But on the flip side, I'd actually describe that tight-knit community and togetherness of the, the futsal family, as we call it, uh, as a positive rather than the negative. There were clubs up and down the country looking for youth, looking for women's, looking for men's, uh, players, volunteers, spectators, uh, anything they can find along the way. The sport's growing with the strategy launch from the FA. Um, I think it's never been a more exciting time to be involved in futsal. So a quick welcome to those that are new to the podcast. Welcome back to those that have been listening for the last couple of episodes. Appreciate you tuning in. Keep your feedback coming in. 
I want to know which bits you find interesting, which type of topics you want to see in the future, and even what day of the week you think is best for delivery. If you want to support or sponsor a series of episodes, then get in touch on Twitter at the Futsal Indy, I-N-D-Y, or visit www.patreon.com forward slash the Futsal Indy. So this week on Twitter, one of the one of the topics that was posted was about the Futsal match day experience. So some clubs do a great job, some clubs are actively trying to improve their job. So we put it out there just to see what kind of feedback we could get and and pass that information on to other clubs and, and try and help each other out. So we had the likes of Cambridge United talking about targeting local grassroots clubs and things like that. They have a particular problem in their area as their local youth leagues play on a Sunday the same time or the same day when the National League fixtures are played. So it's difficult for those. We had Salisbury United talking about their cheerleaders that they have at their games that help create part of that atmosphere. Uh, Rob Smith weighed in with um, a whole list um, to the point where I'm going to read through that list. So before the game, advertising is an obvious one. On social media, YouTube. If you can get onto the radio, I know Manchester were on XS last weekend ahead of the Helvetia game. If you can get into the, the local newspapers and things like that. Organising a series of small-sided games or a mini-festival for youth players beforehand. If you can have the, the kind of music, so the PA system, which I, I spoke very briefly about that kind of stuff um, back in episode zero. So the PA system, the music, the flags, the drums, uh, places for the kids to sit, get the kids together on their own. When they're sat with the parents, they're maybe not as vocal or they're not as involved. If you stick all the kids together, you see them, they have a ball. Taking the players and the team into schools, so either as a full team or a small groups, things like that, putting on sessions, doing Q&A, uh, having pictures taken with the kids, um, whether you can take fixture listing, um, discounted tickets, things like that, get into the assemblies and, and see these players from the local area. But tell the story is a big one. In, in everything that we do from a media point of view, we need to tell the story. What is futsal? Why should people come and watch futsal? The game of futsal is the selling point. There is no kind of, oh, well, Messi played it and, and Neymar played it. We, we, there's none of that. The game is the selling point. During the game, so have people designated to help welcome and, and show new fans, new spectators where to sit, what to expect, uh, what's going to be happening. Your music, so play it, not too loud. Loud enough to build an atmosphere, but not too loud that people can't think or can't interact with each other. Having the players go over and make an effort to speak to the fans to get the kids involved before or, or during, you know, just before they're warming up and things like that. Using the PA system when goals are scored, so whether it's just announcing who's scored. I know Bolton go the extra mile and that they play music as soon as a goal scored, which, I mean, you've got to be trigger finger to get the music played, but it's there and they do it and it works well. Photography, um, obviously I would mention photography, something I do. But photography is um, a big one, along with, um, I would say, videography as well. So I don't just mean filming the, the match from 15 feet in the air and then putting it out with um, some kind of music dubbed over the top. If we want to make the, the sport more professional, if we want to improve the product, and I use the word product deliberately, the production value needs to go up. 
So Manchester at the weekend, filming the game, commentary, half-time, there were dedicated segments that had been pre-recorded about the club. Um, so a really well-delivered production at weekend. But all of the, the kind of filming, the photography, all of that is important because if you play your game and then there's no evidence of it, it might as well not have happened, almost. So it needs to be recorded, it needs to be kept, something you can look back on, something you can use throughout the course of the season, and not just the match day. If you can get in and film part of training sessions, and then your interviews and all that kind of stuff, that all adds to being part of the product, and part of the, the brand for the individual club at that point as well. We had a team travel to Europe in Reading, and I don't think... I might be wrong on this. I don't think anything was captured. I don't think there was any footage captured of Reading in Europe this season. So obviously the circumstances of the players that didn't win the league, not being with them, is fair enough. But still, great experience for the players that did go. Great experience for the club being there. To photograph that, to film that, in and around the players, on and off coaches, meal times, the camaraderie that comes with a trip away, that had been gold. That would have been absolutely brilliant for Reading. And I don't think we, we certainly haven't seen that. Uh, and then after the game, so juniors on the court, so the youth teams on the court after the final whistle. So photographs with the players, they get to talk to the players, meet them, shake their hand and all that kind of thing. Probably the most important one that, that goes, um, I would say, undone a lot of the time is, is get your feedback straight away. So new people that have been in, or even people that have been there a while, if you're trying new things, get the feedback. Does it work? Doesn't it work? What did you enjoy? What didn't you, you know, what didn't you enjoy? Um, and then sending reports of the game to your local newspaper and things like that again. So it's dead easy for me to sit here in front of the microphone and, and say all of these things because I'm not the one that has to go out and do it, of course. But the one thing that all of the clubs and all of the individuals, all of the volunteers say is that it's hard work. It's dedication. It's that relentlessness to pushing and wanting to improve. And ultimately that is what will drive the game forward. So the final little bit I want to talk about this week before we look at the fixtures is players and their development. So obviously players are constantly developing. We'll see as we get more UEFA B coaches through, um, as we get the foreign coaches in that bring their wealth of experience and culture, um, the league's improving year on year. But it's not really that I want to speak about. I want to speak about player development off the court. So I feel like there's a space at the moment for players to push themselves as a brand, as an image, to help the game grow, to help the clubs grow, um, and also to help themselves, put themselves in the spotlight. So I want to see players that are either coming through the England setup, so the 19s, the 23s, or those that are already in the England setup, back themselves off the court as much as they do on the court. I want to see poster boys, poster girls, when the women's team is started, stepping up, leading the way. We see now um, we had females on the strategy launch in the document. There's um, South London now, um, London Helvetia ladies. Um, I have Zara Muska on the header of Twitter and, and things like that. So I think it's important to have the girls as part of it as well. So poster girls, poster boys, stepping up, leading the way around their peers and you know in their groups. So it might be seen as a little bit vain. Some people might not like it. But I think it's important that it's not just seen as a kind of Sunday league or just regular five-a-side. I want to see these characters coming out and we see it within individual clubs. I want to see it on a, a bigger scale. So 
So if anybody follows Birmingham or the work of Mark, so at the GFC underscore TV, you may have noticed him mention in the past that although his videos are shared on Twitter and YouTube, so the Birmingham highlights and things like that, he's had the most success from a social media point of view was when the players took the clips, just had their goals, and then posted them on Instagram. He said that was far better um, in terms of social media success. So I think his tweet actually said, Also, YouTube doesn't appear to be the best delivery mechanism for hashtag futsal highlights packages. Instagram video feeds consistently perform far better for views, millennial audiences and engagement, with Twitter vids for the older, more refined Radio 2 audience. Far more instant. Of course, that's only one person's experience and opinion, but there are so few people putting video content out there that I think it's fair to use that as an example. I still believe video content is about creating a connection, probably the same as this is uh, from an audio point of view. Creating a connection between people. If a faceless club just keep releasing highlights or goal packages and things like that, I don't really think there's any connection on a personal level. So unless you're physically involved in that club, why would you take an interest? Why would you care? I think when we start to see people's faces, if we see interviews, if we see post-match um, interviews, comments and, and things like that, we start to get a feel for the club, we start to get a feel for the people, we start to understand them people and we feel like we get to know them. Uh, so another reason why I think clubs should be pushing that kind of video content, so getting interviews with their staff, with their volunteers, with their youth players, with their, their audience, their, their spectators. But the more players that get noticed, the better. Uh, both for the game and for England, if, if we're going to say players leave to go and play abroad. But we've got Doug Reed. Um, I'm mentioning Doug again as an Umbro athlete, who are a great company to have on board, um, especially being from Manchester, a Manchester brand. Technical sponsor or, or kit manufacturer for, for Manchester this season. Uh, Rayoni Medina, Liam Palfreyman and Mark Croft are the three that I've seen. But they're all wearing the Munich symbol this season. So again, huge in terms of the, the name, the brand. And there might be more, but those are the ones that, that I've seen recently. Uh, which I think that's what it's all about. It's pointless just being one of their athletes or wearing their gear. If you don't make everybody aware, that's kind of the idea, isn't it? Uh, we've got Blaze Gap. Won the Umbro hashtag more game campaign recently. Linked up with Bebe of Porto Salvo. And Kevin Ramirez of French Club Access, which I think I think they're called Access, uh, along with some players from Manchester Futsal. We've then got the likes of Rafael Ramos, the Salisbury United player. He shared on I think it was on his Facebook a week, maybe ten days ago, about receiving a message from one of the youth players at Salisbury United to say that him and his dad had sponsored him for the coming season. And then it was the, the exchange of messages about, you know, good luck for the season, you know, can't wait to come and watch you, that kind of thing. And then I think weekend just gone, Raphael had a photo with the young lad. So obviously there's been some form of connection somewhere. He's inspired a child and their parent to the point where they sponsored them for the season. So can you imagine being that young child getting so close to your idols, so close to your heroes, being able to be close to them? You know, what that does for the player what that does for the club, what that does for the youngster as well, being able to get that close. Also, we've seen it up in Manchester with Reducio King. If anybody's seen Kingy play, you will know he's got that arrogance, that personality, the character about him. There's a swagger about him. Those are the kind of characters we want to see in the game. 
I want to see more people like that. If he's not your player, you probably hate it. If he is your player, you love it. So hopefully we'll see more players doing things like this as the game grows and as the, the sport grows in the country. Developing themselves, getting a name for themselves, creating a, a small following. Helps the clubs if they can get more people in. Helps themselves, they might get picked up by a bigger club. They might go away, they might play abroad. Being a young player, having the opportunity to go and play abroad would be absolutely fantastic. So hopefully something that we see in the future. So a quick look at the fixtures ahead for this weekend. A full set in the Super League with a few other fixtures in the other divisions. So Cambridge United host Reading. Loughborough at home to Manchester. Salisbury United at home to Sussex. London Helvetia at home to Newcastle. York City with their shot win last weekend at Birmingham. At home to Oxford City Lions, so face another tough test. And Birmingham host Southend, which is live streamed on YouTube if you search the GFC underscore TV. Quarter to five on Sunday, that one will be streamed on YouTube. In Division 1 North, Liverpool host Tramere Rovers, or Merseyside Derby. Cheshire host Derby. Sheffield at home to Birmingham City Tigers. Division 1 South, Kickers at home to Genesis, Enfield at home to Pro Futsal London, Reading Development at home to Bristol City. Division 2 North, there are no games. Division 2 Midlands, just the one game, Salisbury United Development at home to Aylesbury. Division 2 South, no games. So if you're going out to a game, again tweet it, we've got the hashtags that are being used. So it's hashtag FA Futsal SL for the Super League, FA Futsal D1 for Division 1 North and South, FA Futsal D2 for Division 2 North, Midlands and South. So if you're going out there, tweet it, hashtag it, get all the accounts tagged, let people know where you're going. Have a good weekend and that's it from me.